I'm Jack Kennedy, and we're here to bring you the latest in MMA. My name is Hunter Boss, and what the boss says goes. What is up, everyone? My name is Keaton McNamara, and you already know what time it is. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the MMA Island Podcast. I am Jack Kennedy alongside Keelan McNamara and Hunter Boss. Well, guys, we finally have fights this Saturday. Giga Jikaze, Calvin Cater, we're so excited. Let's get started with this episode with the news. Francis Ngannou, he's going to be fighting Cyril Gan. However, he will not fight in the UFC again unless it is for more than $500,000 which is what he's been getting paid before. Hunter, what do you think about the whole contract situation with Francis Ngannou? Um, I think it's a little petty on both sides, to be honest. Um, I think Francis should be getting paid more than five hundred, six hundred thousand. Then again, it he hasn't even defended his title yet. So yeah. it, I, I can see where both sides are coming, but in all reality, he deserves to get paid more. He's the heavyweight champion of the world. He's the baddest man on the planet. The baddest man on the planet should be paying getting paid more than five hundred thousand dollars, which I agree with. Um, I think they'll come to a uh, an arrangement, a deal sometime soon, I think. Uh, and if not, Ngannou will probably go box a little bit. He's talked about it before, and I think everyone else wants to see it happen as well. So um, is he going to be successful in boxing? I'm not here to say that, but the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I think it's going to be entertaining nonetheless. So wherever Ngannou goes, I'm going to support, but I really do hope he comes back to the UFC after this fight. Yeah, this is – this. This is a messed up situation on both sides. Um, of that, I have absolutely no doubt at all. Look, before we even get into this, you know, we can't make, none of us can make a fair assessment of this because none of us have seen Francis Ngannou's contract. So we have no idea what he signed or what he's tied to. This is pretty much all pie in the sky and we're debating what we think we have the picture of. So nobody can say for certain but um, I think Hunter's made the first assessment there, and I do think there's fault on both sides, and both sides have an argument to be right as well. Um, see, I'm going to take this from Francis Ngannou's side because I think the UFC side is very clear with how they've negotiated in the past, and they haven't really deviated from that in this case. The problem with Francis Ngannou is, A, he hasn't defended his title yet, and B, this is all about YouTube boxing and social media boxing. I don't even think this is Francis Ngannou saying, oh, look, Canelo Alvarez makes $20, $30 million a fight. Let me get some of that. Or Tyson Fury makes $20 million a fight. Let me get some of that. What Francis Ngannou is looking at is how these social media people have gotten involved in fights and gotten paid better than a lot of professional fighters. Now, on that level, you can't argue with Francis Ngannou because if I was a professional fighter and I was in the UFC and I was the heavyweight champion, no less, I would be a little bit irritated. I'm not going to lie. I think he has a base argument in that regard. But there is a flip side to this as well that I do have to say I think is much more of a factor. And surprisingly, this is a factor I don't think anybody's mentioned. 
I think with Francis Ngannou, I don't think this is an issue of him not wanting to be in the UFC, and I don't think it's an issue of him wanting to be the heavyweight champion or not. This is an issue of age and how much time Francis Ngannou has left at the top, because Francis Ngannou is 35 years old. No one seems to be realizing that. Francis Ngannou came into this game extremely late. He's only had really one real run at the top, and he's managed to get the belt on the second attempt against Stipe Miocic. So he's trying to cash out as much as he can before his career's done. Because if we look at heavyweights on average, Francis Ngannou has maybe three good years left at the top of that division. If we go on the average of how long a heavyweight lasts, because they, they do more damage the higher the weight class goes. I think we can all agree on that. So I don't think this is an issue of Francis hating Dana, as people are saying it is. Um, I think it is a bit of pettiness on both sides. But I think this is a case of Francis trying to get as much money as possible before he does cash out and end his career. And I do think if he doesn't get that, then he's perfectly willing to go to boxing and leave the UFC. Now, I will make my opinion very unequivocal in this. I think he gets smoked by any top five heavyweight on planet Earth right now. I think Fury does him, Dillian White smokes him, Joshua smokes him, Alexander Usyk smokes him, and maybe even Deontay Wilder smokes him as well, if we're being totally truthful here. So my position on this whole issue is... There's right and wrong on both sides of the coin here. Both sides have an argument that their perspective should be adhered to, but they could definitely both meet each other in the middle a bit more. I think Francis Ngannou's been a little too gung-ho with his communication, but Dane is a stubborn SOB. He always has been. So both sides are going to have to let their guard down a little bit for this to move forward. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said right there, actually. I mean... Well, okay, except for the fact that I think uh, I think Ngannou might do um, might do okay. And okay, actually, I disagree with the fight age comment. Um, as as far as him being maybe two or three years, I could see Ngannou fighting until he's forty. Um, he has I I so my whole thing is you know we could look at the average age people retire, but I think the better age to look at is how long they have been fighting. And Ganyu has not been fighting MMA for very long. And in most of his fights, he doesn't take too much damage whenever he's he's he, he's taking the fights too. So, um, I think he's got a lot left in him, honestly. Especially now that he's at the top and everything like this. I think honestly, this is just flat simple. I think he just wants to get paid more. He's the world champion, and I think he just thinks himself his worth is more than what he's getting paid. And I agree with him on that on that you know front. For me, I I you just, you never know the full story of what's going on. So you can say you agree with someone, you agree with the other person, but you just don't know. I would agree with Francis and Ganu if he's saying, okay, I want to get paid more than this. I want to get paid in like the 1 million ish range every time I fight or something like that. However, if he's asking for like 10 million or Conor McGregor numbers, then okay, you're being way unreasonable because you don't bring in those pay-per-views. So we really don't know the full story of this. I, I like to say that I think both, sides especially francis agano should keep this behind the scenes rather yeah. than making it public because it sounds like something that could be handled relatively easily especially with the ufc you know the ufc and daniel white has the money to fix the problem but by saying this it makes it seem like he's unwilling to do it which i would highly doubt daniel white would be unwilling to pay francis agano if it's a reasonable number we just don't know what the number is so that's where i stand on it like if he's asking for something like around the million range 
high million, around the million range. I think, okay, good for that. He might not bring in as many pay-per-views as you want. However, that is worth the investment for the guy that, that is Francis Ngannou, the heavyweight world champion. How bad of a look is it for the UFC if they're the baddest man on the planet? It's like they're not paying me enough and leaves. That is a horrible look for the company. And a guy like Francis Ngannou, you can't let him go. So if that's the range, but if the only thing I would say, okay, that's too far is if he's asking for like Conor McGregor money or like what John Jones was asking to fight, like $30 million. Like if he's asking for that, you have to pull it back a little bit. But if he's asking just for a little bit of an increase in pay, then I say uh, I think the UFC absolutely needs to handle it. But overall, again, keep it behind the scenes. Like, we should not be talking about this. Uh, this should not even be a possibility. That's that's where I stand on. Yeah, I, I agree. Keep it professional, you know. Yeah. We don't have to make everything public, especially when you don't get what you want, because it's just not respectful in that manner. And, and business deals aren't going to work out better in the future yeah. if you keep bringing everything public. And I'm also going to have to agree with Jack on uh, the age dispute here. I don't think it's an age dispute. Um, he hasn't been hit much in his career by heavyweights. Um, when he does lose, it's when he gets out-wrestled. And heavyweight champions in the past have been older. I mean, Randy Couture was 43, I think, when he got the belt. Um, DC. DC fought for the belt like when he was 39-40 and kept fighting for the belt against Stipe Miocic. Stipe is 36, and he's still looking good out there. I mean, I think there's a lot of heavyweight heavyweights out there that are older. And I mean – that's the place to move to when you're older too. When Chael Sonnen was uh, out of his prime, he moved to heavyweight down in Bellator. And uh, I can just keep naming off uh, old heavyweights, but that's the place to be when you're older. I mean, it's not maybe safer health-wise, but that's just what happens when you're a fighter. So uh, I think this this is all a money dispute. I don't, I don't think there's much else uh, behind the scenes other than that. I, it's also a respect thing, I'm sure. Um, I, I'm sure Ngana feels under underappreciated in the company, but... Dana White just needs to pay him more. Uh, he's you need to sell your pay per view off of. Ngannou is the the hardest striker in the world. He's the predator of the weight division. He goes in there and he takes people out in the first round under a minute. I mean, this guy's easy. He's crazy. He's the strongest man on the planet. Like that's how you got to sell the pay per view. And if you're underpaying that baddest man on the planet, the scariest person in the UFC, he deserves to leave. I I I agree with Ngannou, but. And Ghana's also got to be willing to take. He's got to. He's got to. He's got to look at the pay per view sales. He's got to look at what he's bringing in. And to his credibility, it's not like he has much time on pay per views. Uh, from what I recall, there was obviously the the pay per view in which he fought Stipe in March last year. But I don't know like many other pay per views he's he's been on in which he can showcase his abilities like that. I know a lot of fight nights and I know a lot of other, other situations, but he never headlines them. Only one he's headlined was the one in March last year. So I'm just excited to see Ngannou fight this weekend, and I'm really, really hoping they could find a way to, to, to sign this contract. Yeah, um, look, I have no disagreement whatsoever with you guys that this should have been kept behind closed doors from the beginning. I don't know, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know if this was a Francis Ngannou tactic or a Francis Ngannou management tactic to make this a bully pulpit public thing, but I can promise you that will not work out because you will not make Dana White bend. And quite frankly, bringing a public and dragging your dirty laundry into the public is only going to piss him off even more. That does not work. Dana White is the sort of person, I mean, I've never met the guy, but based on his previous dealings, I think we can all say this is how he likes his business being handled. He likes it you know, when it's kept behind closed doors, when you approach him like a man and you talk to him like a man and say, listen, Dana, I 
I'm really happy being in the UFC. No problem with the fights that I'm meant to fight, but I want to be paid more. At the end of the day, I am your hype train. I need to be paid as such. And, you know, that's the way to go about it. Being childish and driving this into the public domain is only going to hurt everybody. It's going to make the UFC look bad. And it stains Francis Ngannou as well. I mean, he's already been damaged by this too. He doesn't walk away scot-free just because he's being underpaid. How do you think this looks to boxing that the second there's a dispute and Ngannou drags dirty laundry into the public domain? That's not going to look good for him either. So the truth is both sides from the beginning should have gotten around the table, basically laid out their positions and worked to the middle ground from there. Now, from my end, I do think there's a little bit of an age thing, perhaps not to the same degree, I do admit, because Ngannou very truly hasn't taken much damage. But when you're 35, you really are approaching the peak of your powers or in the middle of your peak. And naturally, you want to make those the most worthwhile years of your combat career. So I think there's a perspective to be had there for Ngannou. And if that is his perspective, I respect that because it is what it is. But uh, this definitely should have been kept behind closed doors. Of that, I have no doubt. It's just no one comes out of this looking good at all, I really have to say. And the last thing, the last point that I really want to make about this is actually for Nganu. The UFC have a lot to work on, I think, in terms of perhaps being better about this whole sort of thing and open their pay, especially if they're charging more for pay-per-views. Yeah. Fighters should yeah. definitely, definitely be getting paid at the very least a good bit more than what they're getting paid now. But with Francis Ngannou as well, he's got to try and be more active as a champion because the heavyweight division has been held up for a while now because of inactivity. Now, again, I'm not going to bring this whole issue into it because that was a whole set. That was nearly an hour on its own. But with Francis Ngannou, if he's 35 and if he hasn't taken any damage, he needs to be fighting a lot more regularly as well. He needs to be fighting two, three times a year defending that belt because to his credit, Stipe Miocic was very active in defending that belt. He fought every contender that he was meant to fight, and he never complained about it. So when you go from that to Francis Ngannou, who, like Hunter pointed out, hasn't even defended the belt, you can kind of see where the UFC are coming from at the same time. But overall, it's an issue that needs to be resolved. It's an issue I hope will be resolved, but only time itself will tell. Oh, yeah. Hey, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Well, let's move on to the best of the best. And today we're talking about the most influential fighter in the UFC, the history of the UFC. We're going to say other than Conor McGregor, because that is a pretty obvious choice. Uh, Hunter, what do you think? Um, I'm going to go with George St. Pierre on this one. Uh, I think he brought a level of respectness and just uh, like the true martial artist um, attitude when it comes to stepping inside the octagon. Uh, back when he like first debuted, you know, George St. Pierre, the, the UFC was in that hiatus where everything was death metal and, you know, like tap out all the, yeah. all the total, like over the top, yeah. how people stereotype MMA nowadays, you know, it's like, it's like the Mohawks and all the blood and action. It, it's a, it's a part of the UFC, but it's not like the main thing. And that's what was getting highlighted. George St. Pierre brought in the Octagon a sort of, um, respect for his opponents and a sort of, um, just kindness he would bring for all around it. And he was, he was a model. He, he was like, he was the, the uh, uh, epitome of what you want an MMA fighter to be. He was respectable. He defended his belt many, many times. He, 
He never really made many excuses. He trained uh, his ass off. I mean, George St. Pierre, everyone tries to be like him. He, he was everyone's model at the time. And I feel like George St. Pierre is still a very relevant part of MMA today because people still refer to him. People are still trying to act like him. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a martial artist at heart. And I think that changed the UFC for the better. Yeah, that's a great answer. And look, there are at least a dozen people you could name here, and you could pretty much give the prize to all of them for different reasons. Now, I have two that I'm going to pick, but if it's all right, I'm just going to lay out a few that should be honorably mentioned. I think Chuck Liddell was huge because he was the first one that really made mixed martial arts a mainstream you know, event for people to enjoy, an alternative to boxing and so many other things. Like, I even remember um, watching the episode of Entourage, one of the best TV shows ever made. By the way, shout out Doug Allen if he ever watches. And I remember watching the episode where Chuck Liddell is, he's actually on the show with Johnny Drama and everybody else. And that was the first time mixed martial arts got mainstream exposure. It was unbelievable to see. You know, we've got guys like Randy Couture, Forrest Griffin and Stephen Bonner deserve such huge honourable mentions there because they literally saved the UFC at the very beginning. Now, I'm not going to say any more in case Jack has a pick that I hopefully haven't mentioned on him, but my two, I'm going to name my two picks and my first pick is Hoist Gracie. Hoist Gracie is the reason why jiu-jitsu is the biggest aspect of mixed martial arts and the reason why mixed martial and the reason why jiu-jitsu will always be its biggest factor. Back in 1993, nobody knew what Brazilian jiu-jitsu was. Everybody thought MMA was guys like Don Fry beating the holy hell out of each other, which is amazing to watch. Don't get me wrong, and I'll never hate Don Fry for that. But it wasn't technical, it wasn't artistry, it wasn't the most efficient way to beat your opponent. And Hoist Gracie changed all of that. He was a hundred and what how heavy would you say he was 160 pound man Maybe, wearing yeah. a gi? You know, 160 pound man wearing a gi wasn't massive, didn't have tattoos, didn't have a mohawk, didn't have fire coming out of the background. He was just a simple man with a gi who tapped out every single opponent that he faced. That is what made Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu what it is today. And it's the reason why you must have some basic fundamental understanding of it. Because if not, you're going to get tapped out by anybody that you fight. And that entire lineage, the Charles Oliveiras, the Demian Mayas, you know, guys of that lineage all owe their origin to Mr. Hoist Gracie. That's where you trace that lineage back to. And my second pick is Ronda Rousey. Now, I, I'm not going to lie because I've said it quite a few times before. I'm not the biggest Ronda Rousey fan because I thought she was very arrogant in the way she carried herself. And I thought she was very disrespectful unnecessarily to a lot of her opponents. But we would not have mainstream women's mixed martial arts without Ronda Rousey. Mm -hmm. And whether you love her, hate her or anything in between, you can never take that away from her. Now, Chris Cyborg and Gina Carano had the first ever women's MMA fight in Strike Force, I believe it was back in the day. But it was Ronda Rousey that took this whole game to a new level for women. You know, she was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. She was on talk shows. Dana White had said a couple of years before Rousey's debut that women would never fight in the UFC. And some of the greatest fights we've ever seen in the UFC were women. And 
love her or hate it, you have to owe a lot of that to Ronda Rousey for blazing that trail. You know, last year on one of our podcasts, you boys will remember this, we talked about Stephen A. Smith and his ignorant comments towards women in mixed martial arts. If you're ever looking for the counter to someone like Stephen A. Smith's opinions, your starting point and your ending point is Ronda Rousey. You know, Olympian in judo came to the UFC, blazed that trail, won the title and made women's mixed martial arts. She just did. But admittedly, she had a very, uh, she didn't exactly have the best ending getting knocked out by Holly Holm and Ronda and Amanda Nunez. But you have to owe the lineage of women's mixed martial arts exploding to the level it has to Ronda Rousey. She's the figure a lot of little girls look up to growing up training in mixed martial arts. You know, a lot of girls can go into gyms now. They can go into dojos. They can go into martial arts academies. And the reason a lot of them can do that is Ronda Rousey. So those are my two picks. I think it's got to be Hoist Gracie and Ronda Rousey. That is fascinating. I was not expecting Ronda Rousey there. I like it, though. I like it a lot. Um, my pick is one that you put in, in the honorable mention. I have Chuck Liddell. Uh, nice. He's the guy, the original uh, just star in the UFC. The UFC, I really think, wouldn't be where it is today without Chuck Liddell. The guy was seriously a superstar. Everyone was behind Chuck Liddell, uh, the Tito Ortiz rivalry and everything like that. He was the guy that brought the UFC to the mainstream, which made MMA mainstream, right? It got people excited for it. Um, <clears throat> when you talk about you know people that make the sport what it is, you have to look at, uh, I think, the personalities, right, which is what Conor McGregor, which is why I like the Ronda Rousey pick. Chuck Liddell is the original one. Chuck Liddell is the guy that was knocking people out left and right, became champion. Look, the Iceman, the personality, the celebration, everything. To this day, you will not hear a louder crowd reaction at a UFC event than when Chuck Liddell is shown on the screen. There's a reason for that. Just an absolute legend in every right. Chuck Liddell, that's my pick for uh, most influential fighter other than uh, uh, Connor. Um, but I love Hoist Gracie, obviously, like the sport itself. I love GSP. GSP was my other pick. I'll throw Anderson Silva into that hat as well. I'm surprised Keelan didn't mention him, but I know. Anderson Silva. Too. I thought you were going to pick him. That's why <laughs> I left. Look, Anderson Silva has to be in there for sure, like for everything he did and, and, and everything. But um, yeah. He started so, the showboating, I think. Like, like the yeah. like, Octagon, he was yeah. totally the starter at that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Honestly, honestly. Well, great stuff, guys. Let's move on to the pick of the night. We finally have this. We haven't had this for a long time. We finally have it. Giga Chikadze, Calvin Cater. Hunter, what's your prediction for the main event and your pick of the night? All right. I'm going to start with the pick of the night because yeah. I want – I just want to start with the pick of the night. I haven't been able to do this for, for almost a month now. I know. It's I know. It's been too long. I haven't. It's, 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 like, it's like my favorite part of the podcast. It has to be. <laughs> I haven't been able to do it for so long, but Tragic. here I'm – my pick of the night is going to be Caitlin Chukagian against uh, Jennifer Maya. Uh, I think they fought before in t- 2019. Chukagian won. I think uh, Jennifer Maya has that advantage when it comes to grappling, but like a slight advantage. I think Caitlin Chukagian is good enough to hold her own against Jennifer Maya on the ground and is definitely the, the superior striker. So I got Caitlin Chukagian unanimous decision. Why? Because what the boss says goes. Ooh, there it boom. Is. Right there. I've been able to say that. In a month now, oh my god, it's been We've so missed nice it. To say it We've missed it. But when it comes to my actual main event pick, it's gonna be a little bit different. I think people are really sleeping on Calvin Cater, and I think Calvin Cater is durable enough not to get finished by Giga Chikadze. 
because we saw it in the Max Holloway fight. He took an amazing amount of punches, more than anyone's ever taken in a UFC fight, and was still left standing at the end of it. That proves to me that Calvin Cater is a beast. He can stand on the feet, and he's not. There's not any uh, takedown uh, uh, fear for Gigi Kadze. I don't think he's going to take Calvin Cater to the ground. So they're going to be striking the entire time. And I correct me if I'm wrong. Chikadze hasn't been to a, a fourth or fifth round. Nope. Calvin Cater was just in the fourth or fifth round against Holloway, and he didn't look bad. I mean, like he got struck, <laughs> obviously, but he was striking back and he landed good shots against Max Holloway in this fourth and fifth rounds. So I'm expecting a TKO in the fourth round for Calvin Cater. Wow. Okay. Whoa. Oh, boom shakalaka, ladies and gentlemen. That's a I had a lot of time pick. to think on it, guys. I had a lot of time to think on it. Almost a month now. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, the first pick of 2022 and Hunter goes for Calvin Cater. I'm going for the underdog. The guy who just a year out to the day. 364 days. Thank you very much. Not a year. No ring rust after a For a year, I get it. Ring rust. 364 days, no such thing as ring, ring rust. Yeah, he was only on a nine-month medical suspension because of that Max Holloway fight. That's so it. That's it. So he's been training for three after that. <laughs> 364 days is nothing, ladies and gentlemen. No. Um, right, I'm going to do this the same way Hunter did. I'm going to go pick up the night, and then I'm going to go who I think is going to win the main event. Now, I am actually going to go with the boss for pick of the night, and this was actually the, the pick that stood out to me as well. I think Caitlin Chikagian gets the decision over Jennifer Maya for the reasons that Hunter just mentioned. Now, Jennifer Maya is definitely the better grappler, I would say, out of Chikagian and Maya, but Chikagian is the better striker. And I think physically she's got a reach advantage and a height advantage. And I can see her using those two things to very good effect against Maya. Maya's, Maya wins or loses this fight by her ability to get this fight to the ground, and I don't think she's going to be able to do it. I think she's going to really struggle to get past Chikigian's job, and even then, Chikigian's a very big woman to actually drag to the canvas. So I think all those things are just going to be a little bit too much for Jennifer Maya, and I see a unanimous decision win for Caitlin Chikigian as well. Because what the boss says most of the times does go, and it usually blows up in my face, so I might as well try and get it right this time. But for my pick for the main event, I'm going to go against Hunter, and I do think Giga Chikadze gets this done, and I do think he gets this done in quite violent fashion. Now, the point about Max Holloway, all your points were very true. I don't have an issue with the accuracy of any of them because they were all very true. The problem is, I think Giga Chikadze hits harder than Max Holloway does, and he can hit just as frequently. So I think that extra damage might be what pushes Calvin Cater over the edge. Now, Giga Chikadze is one of the best, in a division loaded full of them, let's not forget Edson Barbosa in the mix here. You know, this is a division laced with the best strikers in the UFC, and Giga Chikadze is at the very, very top of that list. And Calvin Cater's just come off of a one-sided hammering to Max Holloway. All the cards are pointing towards Giga Chikadze here because Calvin Cater, Calvin Cater is a really, really good fighter and he is one of the toughest SOBs I have seen in a long time. That New England cartels follow them. Shout out Rob Font as well. But Calvin Cater's really, really tough. 
The problem is toughness only gets you so far and you can't afford to stand in front of someone like Giga Chikadze. And unfortunately, Giga Chikadze is good enough to keep you standing in front of him. And when you're standing in front of him, Giga Chikadze tees off on you. And when Giga Chikadze tees off on you, he knocks you to the Shadow Realm. And that's what I see happening here personally. And the round point that Hunter made is a very important thing to consider as well. Because as you said, Hunter, Giga Chikadze has not gone to those championship rounds, whereas Calvin Cater's just come out of them. The problem is Calvin Cater's just come out of them being absolutely beaten up, whereas Giga Chikadze is going into this fresh. And I have not seen any indication that Giga Chikadze's stamina is going to be an issue, whether it's three rounds or five. So for me, I am going to say, I think third round knockout for Giga Chikadze. All right, guys. All right. Fascinating stuff, all right? So the problem is, I agree with Hunter's pick of the night, right? But we know me. I have to go against this. Out of spite, my main event well, have to, Jack. You can agree if you want. I'm not, I'm not the bad guy. I'm just the truth teller. And that's the problem. We need to change that, all right? We're bringing change to the MMA Island podcast. We're going against it like usual. Um, so I guess not change, but whatever. Um uh... I'll just buy, I'm going my main event prediction and pick of the night are they going to be the same thing. And I am I am so sure. I, I really think you get Chikate is going to win against Calvin Cater. Um, I think more than anything, just matchup wise. I am I am worried that this fight goes to the fourth and fifth round because he was slowing down against Edson Barbosa. That is my one worry. However, Calvin Cater does not eat body shots very well. Max Holloway was pouring it on, everything like that. But I'm not looking at the Max Holloway fight to point to. I'm looking at the Shane Burgos fight between Calvin Cater to point to. Rewinding, right? Calvin Cater obviously ultimately won that fight, but Shane Burgos' old best weapon that entire time was just digging the shot to the body. Well, what is the best giga kick out there? The liver kick. It's so fast. It's so precise. Look, I know for a fact Calvin Cater has been training this entire training camp against that kick and against that head kick. However, all it takes is one second where you're taking a breath, split second, the kick is there. That could be it. If Cub Swanson, one of the toughest guys alive, crumbles because of that kick, I think Calvin Cater will do the same. Um, more than anything, too, Cater is coming off of something that we a beating we have never seen in the UFC, or very few we see in the UFC. Giga Chikadze is riding so much momentum right now. I think the only reason this momentum could stop is if Giga Chikadze is overlooking Calvin Cater. However, and I do think that is a factor. However, I don't think it will. I think the, the momentum continues. I think he pushes back Calvin Cater. I really like that prediction, Keelan. Round three, TKO, because um, Cater is so tough. We have saw that against Max Holloway. I mean, the fight probably should have been stopped, but he was, he, was, he was a gangster. He was standing in there, so he's very tough. I just think at the end of the day, he's not going to be able to stand up. It's just he might be blocked every single one, but it just takes one liver kick, and it's done. You crumble, it's over. And especially against Giga Chikadze, he will pick you apart. I like, look, I don't hate the Kater prediction because he is a really big underdog and I think people are overlooking him, especially if it goes to the fourth and fifth rounds because the gas tank, I am worried about Giga Chikadze and we will see. However, I don't think the fight lasts that long. Pick of the night and my prediction of the night, Giga Chikadze, round three, TKO. Let me, let me, tell, me, let me tell you guys something that you guys already know. All, All right. right. Let's take a look back at Calvin Cater's fight against Zabit Magomed Sharipa. Okay, here we go. Okay. He ended up losing that fight. But could you guys point out to me the round that you think he won? It was round three. 
I think the longer the fight goes, the better chance that Calvin Cater has at picking apart his opponents. And we see that very true in the Dan Ige fight. We see that's very true in the Zabit fight. We see that's very true in a lot of his fights. And we just take a look at his record currently. The last four of his fights have gone the distance. Or, or the last out of his four fights, three of them have gone the distance. And that one that didn't go the distance, he not, Calvin Cater knocked out Jeremy Stevens. Well, that was bad, too. The yeah. heaviest hands in Jeremy Stevens and Zabit Magomed Sharipov and Dan Ige and in Max Holloway, who maybe not be a, may not be a heavy hand, but has the volume to put away almost everyone, including Brian Ortega and many other names that Max Holloway has put away, and, and Jose Aldo, too. So I think Calvin Cater has faced those people that have a chance at finishing him. Calvin Cater's never been finished inside the octagon, um, and he's only been finished once in his career due to a rear naked choke when he, in his like third pro fight. So Calvin Cater has time. Calvin Cater can take a punch. Calvin Cater can take a kick. And Calvin Cater will take it to the championship rounds and beat uh, Giga Chikadze. And you guys will see it on Saturday night. Do you know what the only problem with everything you've said, Hunter, is there's literally only one glaring issue. Everything else I totally agree with is just one thing. Tell me. You can't condition your liver to take a kick. And you sure as hell cannot condition it to take a donkey mule kick. So from to He's been doing that the whole camp. Jack said it already. It just, yeah. it just takes one. It just takes you, one. That's it. All it takes is one shin bone to your liver and your liver's like SpongeBob. I am a head out. You can't control that. You can condition and you can prepare yourself to take shots to the face. And Calvin Cater, to his immense credit, is one of the toughest people probably in the UFC right now because a lot of other fighters would have crumpled to Holloway. I don't think anybody's ever going to argue that. But you cannot condition your liver or your kidneys to take damage. If they take damage, it's night-night for you. You don't control that. You don't have a say in what your vital organs say. And your liver will check out if it is damaged. And like Jack said, and that's actually one of the big influencing factors for my opinion here as well, Cub Swanson has been through the wars and he's been through people who can hit, people who can wrestle and everything in between. If you can crumple Cub Swanson with a liver shot, you can crumple a tank with the liver shot. And I think that's what's going to happen. I really, really do. Giga Chikadze is not only powerful. Giga Chikadze has the power of a shotgun and the accuracy of a sniper rifle. You put those two things to your liver and it's game over for anybody. And yes, you're, I actually do agree with Hunter here. The longer this fight goes, the more wiggle room Calvin Cater has. The problem is Giga Chikadze is too good to let it go that far. He really has 15 full minutes to find one body kick. Do you really think he's not going to find it? Here, here's uh, the other thing I was thinking too. Edson right? kicked him in the body like five times. Or no, no, no. Sorry. Giga kicked Edson in the body like five times and he didn't crumble to a body shot. Yeah, but he didn't hit his liver full on. (laughs) That's like saying, oh, Calvin Cater, all he needs to do is find the chin. As soon as he finds the chin, that's a vital organ. It's going to put him out. It's going to put him to sleep. There's just some things you can't condition, that being the chin. You know, if you find a clean shot on anyone, if you find a clean shot on anyone, anyone can go out. Same thing with Calvin Cater, same thing with Giga Chikatsa. Here's here's the other thing I got to say, all right? And, and this is the last thing I got to say. Yeah. I am not sure Calvin Cater is going to demonstrate the same chin strength as we've seen before. Fair enough. With the amount of shots he's taken off of Max Holloway and in the previous fights as well, all accumulated, and this being his first fight back, 
Look, we've seen it with some fighters, and they can have a great chin for a very long time. However, everyone reaches a certain point. The, I think the big question, the biggest question, other than how, how is Giga Chikazi's gas tank going to go, is how good is Calvin Kier's chin still after taking that big of a beating? After eating, yeah. what was it, like 500 shots? Like Max Holloway yeah. threw almost 1,000 shots in that fight. After eating that much, how good is your chin still actually? I think that's the big question. And honestly, I, I honestly, I really don't know because if some fighters is different, but if Giga Chikaze cracks him and we see him stumble a little bit, I think, I think he's going to finish him. That's, that's my prediction. But well, guys, Wait, hang on. is this yeah. at the UFC apex, this fight? Um, yes. Should be. Yeah. yeah. That could actually help cater smaller oh, octagon. Yeah. That could actually help him without pressure to be fair. You know, look, I'm not saying this is a wrap for Calvin Cater because Calvin Cater is more than good enough to win. But Giga Chikadze is just such an animal in there. He is so good at popping those shots off so quickly and not giving you any time to react. But one thing I'll actually say in favor of Hunter's argument here, because, of course, I believe in being fair. It's what I do, except when I don't. But mostly I do. And, you know, smaller octagon means better pressure. When you have a better and when you have a really good pressure fighter like Calvin Cater, he can smother you. So maybe this is the way he gets the job done. Maybe he just doesn't let Giga get anything off. Maybe he stays in his face the whole fight. Who knows? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Very much looking forward to it, guys. Great podcast. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Make sure to like and subscribe on YouTube. Listen to us everywhere, literally everywhere, including iTunes and Spotify. Uh, as always. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at MMA.Island and check out our website, MMAIsland.net. Thank you again, everyone, so much for listening. Great podcast, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody.